from the NFL. If you're Dak Prescott, individual numbers aren't enough anymore. You want to get paid? Win something. To the NBA. Who gives a about the Pelicans if Zion don't play? Across the landscape of college football. There's no such thing as a good loss in the ACC. So if you're Clemson, you better win every game. And so much more. Let's talk some sports, baby. The stories you want. Baseball is back. Basketball is almost back. And football is on the way. You love to see it. The opinions you need. Sports is what this country needs. And I truly, truly believe that. Holla at your boy. It's Jay Wise. It's the drink. It's the beard. And it's the wisdom. I hope you brought pen and paper because class is in session. And Nathan Drinkard. Remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we're going to do. We're going to holler at you until next time, baby. This is A Drink of Wisdom. Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom. Nathan Drinker and I'm Jay Wise. Thanks for spending some of your time with us. As you well know, our show is hosted on the old Anchor app, but we're also on all the major podcast platforms that you know and love, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just to name a few. And if you're looking for the video format of the show, we're up on the YouTube, A Drink of Wisdom YouTube channel. Uh, find us at all those locations. Like, listen, share, subscribe. We appreciate it all. Good to see you, Drink. What's going on, man? Good to see you too, man. You know, another beautiful Saturday we up, spreading the word, getting things going how we do, getting the weekend popping, locking, people tapping in with us. So you know what it is, man. Um, same old. We got to feed the streets like we do. Um, you know, uh, we see what they don't. We say what they want. Let's get it on the road. And let's talk some sports, baby. Let's roll, baby. It's so beautiful. I just had to close the blinds. I had too much light filtering through the, <laughs> the window here. But anyway. It'd be point. like that sometimes. Yeah. It's episode 44. The next one in overtime, we debate the NBA play-in tourney. And we head to South Carolina to discuss former NFL cornerback Phillip Adams. We begin with Thursday night NBA action where the Los Angeles Clippers defeated the Phoenix Suns 113-103. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard combined for 60 points, and the Clippers won their third game in a row. The Suns had won seven straight games before this loss, including a home victory over the Utah Jazz the night before. Devin Booker scored 24 points for the Suns. Mikael Bridges added 20. The Suns remain in second place out west, but the Clippers are just a game and a half back after they beat Houston last night. Okay, Drink, this is a possible preview of a Western Conference semifinal matchup. Did this game prove the Clippers will beat the Suns in such a series? I don't think it proved that they will beat them, but what it did, it did show us that they have the capability of beating the Suns. Here's the deal. The Suns came in last night. They wasn't missing no key piece that make you think, oh, they was missing this guy that's going to turn them around. They had their heavy hitters. They had Devin Booker. They had Chris Paul. They had DeAndre Aiden. Um, they had Mikael Bridges, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but at the end of the day, did what I did see last night is what we fear about the Suns. Can, when the, when the rubber meets the road and, and the lights are the brightest and they're in the seven-game series, can the Suns pull enough out of their bag to beat the Clippers four times? That jury's still out. That jury's still out. Um, and we, we seen it last night. Now, what I also, what I would say for the Suns is this. The Suns did show that they are capable of competing with the Clippers in the seven-game series. 
it wasn't a one you know one way wash um but it's just one of those things where we haven't seen enough out of um we haven't seen Devin Booker under those bright lights you made a fantastic point about Chris Paul earlier um DeAndre Aiden Bridges I mean you take Chris Paul away from this team and maybe Jay Crowder you have a bunch of young guys that ain't done much of anything when it comes to the elite level of the NBA, when it comes to the playoffs, when it comes to those bright lights. Um, and something else I want to talk about. We, we talk about the playoffs now. The playoffs right now is what I would like to call a um, controlled environment. Um, you know, a false sense of reality. Because coming two to three years, the playoffs won't look the way it looks now, where you're playing in arenas without fans, where you're playing in, you know, a, a glorified scrimmage is what people like to call it. Only the big wigs or the 1% of family members are allowed to watch it live. So it's a glorified scrimmage. Why do I bring that up? Because I think that helps the young players because they don't deal with everything that comes with a, a traditional playoff series. And for those of you that think it don't matter, Look at the NBA Finals last year. Do you think Tyler Hero is good? Um, they, they got, you know, Kendrick Nunn is good. Um, Duncan Robinson is good. Do we really think we would see them on the level that they was in if we was playing in a normal playoff atmosphere? I don't think so. I think it benefited them well to make it look like a glorified practice or an AAU tournament, as some people say, and that helps the young players. But, um... To reel this back into my point, I don't I don't think I've seen enough, and I don't think I will see enough until we go back to the normal NBA setting. I think right now it's it's kind of fool's gold all the way around. Um, even with the veterans, it's it's just so different. Um, you don't have to you you get to prepare different. You get to you get a different ambiance from games now with no fans. You can hear more. It's more instructional. It's more, you know, it's it's so different. I, so I, I don't think I seen enough last night that made me think the Suns could beat the Clippers in the seven-game series. I don't think so. Um, but I didn't. I don't think I seen enough out of the Clippers to think it wouldn't go seven either, um, to be honest with you. I mean, granted, the Clippers got the two best players on the court, but still, like, after you get past those two best players, I think the Suns make a very good case to fill in the rest of that five. Like, I'm sorry, Zubox is okay. He's good, but I think I take Aiden. Um, behind Paul George and, you know, Kawhi Leonard, I think I, I would take Devin Booker as the third player. Um, most likely Chris Paul as the fourth player, you know. And and like I said, De um, Aiden probably be my fifth guy. So if I had a starting five, three would be Suns, two would be Clippers. I like, I like everybody Clippers got, you know, the role players, but I think the Suns a little better in that position. But when you talk about the star players, it's pretty clear who who got the better star players. Now, all that said, let's talk about you know Rondo was out there. I really wanted to get on this Rondo thing um, because I, I I posed this question to you earlier: Is Rondo is is he the guy to get them over the hump? Does he bring enough to this team to get them over the hump? And I'm I'm gonna let you hold your your answer for your turn. Um, but I mean, he looked it good last night, but 
Are we sure we can get this from Rondo on a, a you know, night-to-night basis? Are we sure we can get this from Rondo in the first round of the playoffs? Because let's be real here. I love, I, I love how they call him playoff Rondo. But usually in the first round, he takes that off. Um, he's, he's coasting. He's maxing and relaxing. Um, however you want to look at it, he's resting. Now, when you, if your team make it towards the, the conference finals and then the NBA finals and you got Rondo, now you talk, you're cooking with gas. But, I, I, you know, is Rondo enough? I'm still – the verdict's still out. We got to see. We got to see them play more teams. But I did like what I seen. Like, I thought – Paul George had a very effortless 33 points. I mean, it was quiet. Honestly, I didn't even know he had that many points until I actually looked at the box score. I thought it was very quiet and cerebral, assassin-like, and then Kawhi with his 27. I say all that to say this. The Clippers look better. We just need more time. The Suns look like a contender. That's all I'm going to leave them as contender. Not NBA Finals, not Western Cup. I'm going to just say contender. Because I do think they'll win their first round and get into the semis, and then we'll see more about them. But um, to answer your question, I don't know if I've seen enough to be um, definitive, but I think I do see enough where this could be a seven-game series easily. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think this game proved it um, to me. But I've, I've always thought, you know, from start to finish, uh, that the Clippers – are one of the two best teams out West. I'm still rolling with the Lakers, even though they have yet to get healthy. Uh, but even though Utah and Phoenix have been very, very good all season, I mean, Phoenix has been really hot lately. Um, I, I would still go with the Clippers. They got the two best players. You, you are correct. I think after that, the Clippers depth has been somewhat compromised. No Lou Williams, no Montrezl Harrell. Um, you know, getting Rondo helps, but I'm not sure that's going to wind up being enough, but it will. It's going to depend on, you know, what you get from your two best players. I mean, if you can get if you can get 60 per night um, from Kawhi and Paul George, you like think you're in good shape. And it's going to be it's going to be somewhat tough for you know Phoenix to overcome that. But I think I think the real you know one of the the big factors, and we have, we have two examples of this now because this is the second meeting between these two teams this year. Um, the Clippers have made 35 three-pointers in two games between these two teams. Um, meanwhile, Phoenix, Phoenix has made 16 threes. Mm. I mean, and we, we know how quickly, you know, those, those threes add up like no other. So last night, Phoenix was six for 24 and the Clippers were 18 for 37. So that's, you know, uh, one team makes three times the threes of the other. That's a huge disadvantage. And, and Paul George was, I've been, and I've been critical of Paul George lately going back to last season. Um, he was excellent last night. He makes seven for nine from three. Um, Kawhi, was, Kawhi was pretty, I don't know, he didn't even look like he was on the floor for much of the first half to the point where I was considering, like, I don't, why didn't you use this in one of your load management games? Because it looks like you're load managing while on the floor. He did pick it up in the second half, scored, completely scored, got 19 in the second half. Um, of course, uh, we know Marcus Morris being there. He's a he's a guy I wouldn't overlook when you go down the list of the guys for the depth. And don't for, don't forget about a Serge Ibaka. He's missed 14 straight games with a, with a back issue, so he's a guy we can't forget either. That another thing that hurt their depth last night because Zubac normally comes off the bench. Um, the biggest the biggest thing I think for the for the Clippers is 
can they can they rebound the ball? And they they competed enough on the glass. I thought Aiden really hurt them at times um, on the offensive glass, um, but outside of that, they didn't get dominated in that respect because that's been one of the issues we've talked about going back to last year. We really like them on the perimeter, but we don't we're, we're unsure of them when it comes to the inside game. And Phoenix, DeAndre Ayton, I think, and he, I thought he had a, a very nice game, but he's, he's a guy that you look to like, we're asking for more. We need you to dominate inside to take advantage of their lack of size. Uh, Phoenix, as you know, you, you gotta be, I mean, at 36 and 15, you gotta take them seriously. And we've talked about them, you know, a couple of times, you gotta take them seriously. They're, they're a team to be reckoned with, got a lot, got, it's got some good pieces, good depth. I, I continue to be impressed with this young guy, Mikael Bridges. Uh, he's improved a lot since he entered the league a couple of years ago. Uh, but they, I mean, this is going to, this is going to be a new thing when you talk about playoffs. Um, none of these guys really outside of Chris Paul and Jay Crowder have, you know, the requisite experience um, you're looking for. So it's going to be a new experience, but also don't forget this, you know, as much as credit as we give to Chris Paul, Chris Paul's had his own, you know, playoff struggles. It's not like Chris Paul is a guy who, it's not like Chris Paul is Rajon Rondo. Rajon Rondo's had extended success uh, for the Boston Celtics and you throw in and playing for the Lakers last year. So he know he know he knows what it takes to succeed and he's had success. Chris Paul is still looking for it. So as much as we like Chris Paul and he's gonna, he's, you know, in the MVP conversation, um, gotta, gotta give him respect and I continue to be, impressed with what he does, you know, going from team to team now and bringing winning wherever he goes. That that can't be undersold. Uh, but it's just, you know, at, at the end of the day, you have to take into consideration, you know, if and I always go, sometimes I like to go to, to the betting. If you had to put money on it, are you going to put it in the proven, the proven commodities who have had success? Or are you going to put it on the, the lesser known, the young guys, I, I, I got to go with the Clippers right now. I, I guess you have to decide how much money. If you talking about the four, the old four one k, then you know I might go to Clippers. But you talking about you know <laughs> the stimulus check, I might you know I might get a little risky with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but the yeah the shooting the shooting disparity because I happen you know we we only focus on other this game, but I pulled up yeah I pulled up the matchup that was very early on in the season. And the three point line has been a huge disparity, which is. I mean, the Clippers have been great shooting the ball from three the end, for pretty much the entire season. But it's somewhat surprising, you know, a team with Devin Booker, you know, Devin Booker didn't make a three last night. And, you know, it's just it's just a little odd to see a team, you know, Phoenix has shooters. You know, they can bring Cam Johnson off the bench. Um, Sarich has three-point range. You know, Crowder can hit some threes. He didn't do much anything last night or Thursday night. But – in regards to your to your Rondo question, this is you know, I don't I don't expect Rondo to, to score fifteen a night and you know make three or four from three. That's if he does that now that that he's might be the missing piece, but I don't think that, I don't think that's a fair expectation at this stage. But uh, but you do what what you do want for him is you do want him to come in and run the offense and make things a little bit easier. Because a lot of times, you know, it's just Paul George and Kawhi Leonard creating for themselves and others. And I think it helps to have an actual point guard come in, run offense, get easy baskets for others, and he can take some of that pressure off of them. So 
I'm just looking for, you know, the, the playmaking ability of Rondo and the ability to let those other guys play off the ball. But I will say this, I'll take him every day of the week over Patrick Beverly is a zero point having behind no, not just nothing, just a blank stat sheet with a couple of assists and he gets himself thrown out for that chicken wing and Chris Paul, um, you know, just, I'm, you know, I can't all the positive things I've said about the Clippers. I could, I couldn't let this segment go without just saying Patrick Beverly is just, he's a, he's fraudulent uh, and I'm just what? tired of him. What type of guard throws an elbow at another guard's rib cage? Like I done seen some stuff. But he, you, you know how creative you gotta be to be a guard and then run up to another guard and then try to throw the, the UFC elbow to the real cage and then on national. All right, that's uh, that's about on the level of Kyle Lowry, like going through someone's legs last year. Remember that? <laughs> that's about the same level. Um, but yeah, I'll take as of right now, I'll take the Clippers. You taking the Clippers or the Suns? I'm taking the Clippers. I'm I'm betting the four one K. I'm taking the Clippers. <laughs> um, nah, not the stimmy this time. I can't let them get the stimmy. I would, I would say this, though. You know, the I appreciate what the Suns are doing. I said I thought they was going to end the season as a top four team. Um, they seem to be proving that theory right. But like you said, when the rubber meets the road and I'm really betting some chips, I got to go with the proven commodity. That is what it is. All right, now to last night's NBA action where the New York Knicks earned a come-from-behind overtime win over the Memphis Grizzlies, 133-129. The Knicks had six players in double figures led by 20 apiece from R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly. The Knicks leaned on their bench to the tune of 72 points, and they avoided their third straight loss. The Grizzlies led from almost start to finish, but poor free-throw shooting helped snap their four-game winning streak. John Morant scored a game-high 26 points, but his floater at the regulation buzzer rimmed out, allowing the Knicks to earn the win in overtime. Both teams remain in the eighth seed in their respective conferences. Okay, Drink, do you think this was more about the Knicks winning this game, or did Memphis blow it? Um, I think Memphis did blow this game, but I, you know, I want to give Knicks the credit of coming back, doing what they had to do, grind it out, playing good defense, and just being the team that they are to pull this out. Um, there's nothing glamorous about the Knicks unless you're a defensive guy and you're like, okay. <laughs> um, with that said, this was a hell of a game, so I want to give them credit on the game itself. It was a hell of a game, but. I, this game is the ultimate like measuring stick for me as far as the East and West. When you, when people try to convince you or I that the East has caught up with the West, this, that, and the third, I look at this and I say, look at these two teams, right? Look at these two eight seeds. If you just look, if you don't even look at the stats, which eight seed you think got a winning record and which eight seed you think got a losing record, and why does that matter? Because it's, it's, it's going to be hard to convince people that a conference where a team with a losing record can make the playoffs and then a conference where the team got to have a winning record to make the play, playoffs, you would say the conference with the winning record is the better conference. That's why I just think most people will agree to if you're just having a conversation. Um, so I thought this game was a, a good uh, barometer for that. I want to give a shout out to my boy uh, Derrick Rose. You know what I'm saying? Derrick Rose hmm. turned back the hand of time last night for the Knicks. You know what I'm saying? He actually kept them in the game for a good portion of the yeah. game. Um, let's keep it real. They were struggling to score. Derrick Rose kind of he was having timely baskets. I ain't saying he was like 
going off looking vintage, but he had I, I thought he controlled the pace of the game for a good portion of the game. Um in in that first half where he he was kind of keeping them alive. Uh I like what he was doing. I like how he's, you know, controlling the pace of the game, like I said. Um especially when you don't have your top guys, Randall, Barrett, they're not, you know, doing a whole lot. I don't know. What's what's the deal with this guy over topping? Like, I don't know. He was their top pick, and like, he comes in sporadically, and then he does something spectacular. Then he's back out of the game again, and it's I don't know. I don't understand what 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 their plan is with over topping. Maybe I'm missing something. I mean, maybe he's just massively undeveloped. I don't know, but for him to go as high as he went in the draft, yeah, he he is like a mystery over there. Um, so, I mean, but when he do come in, he'll give you something. He'll give you at least one sports center top 10 play, yep. and then he, he rides off in the sunset. Um, and then the Grizzlies. Uh, look, Morant, he had a chance to um, win the game. He he missed that, that shot, which was a good shot. I, I thought it was going to go in. I did see it, like, spin out a little bit, but I thought ultimately it was going to fall in. It comes out. They had a chance at the putback as well. And didn't really get that put back, and then we go into overtime, and the rest is history. Um, I would say this about Memphis. I had kind of chalked Memphis up. I was kind of like, I'm over this. I don't think they're gonna be nowhere in the conversation. I stand corrected. I owe them an apology. They send in the eight seed. You only gotta be in the tenth seed to make the play-in tournament. So, for all all purposes, it looked like Memphis is gonna be around to have something to say about that eight seed when it's all said and done. Um. Because the the, scenario, the scenarios we're gonna talk about in the in the next segment. Um, but at the end of the day, I look at this. Memphis definitely blew this game. Memphis had played their way. They was controlling majority of the pace of the game, and they let the Knicks come back and take this game from them without even the, the best performance from their best player. That I thought they did it down the stretch defensively. Look, I looked at the stat the other day. I, I know the Knicks ain't the most popular te- talked about team in the NBA right now, but I'm gonna tell you like this: Thibodeau is doing something with that defense. They doing. I would take this team defense over a lot of other teams that we do talk about a lot. Like I would take the Knicks defense over the Boston Celtics offense. And like, I, I I really would. I'm, I understand. Listen, Tatum went off for of fifty. Oh, congratulations! I'm glad you finally figured out what you was doing right last year and what you was doing wrong this year. But either way, the Knicks' defense, game in and game out, seems to show up. Okay, I see, you know, 129 points. But, that, you know, that's overtime. That's everything included. I really like what they do on the defense side of the ball. They just need a lot more help on the offense. I mean, a good significant amount. I don't know if they got enough clearly on the offense. But I like what they seen. Grizzlies, they just got to get back in the mode of things. Um... Can we get a healthy Grizzly team? Can we get the core of the Grizzlies healthy at the same time so we can clearly see what we got over there? Because it's very hard to make a depiction because they're always missing a key part. Um, but to answer your question, sorry, you know, my throat getting a little dry in between. But to answer your question, um, the Grizzlies let it go. They should have won the game. The Knicks showed tremendous heart, tremendous defense. And, and I like to see that, but yes, the Grizzlies lost this game, and I think this shows how much better the West is 
than the East when you just compare the eight seeds. Just the eight seeds. We ain't even going to talk about the top seeds. Just look at the bottom seeds. It kind of show you that it's levels to it. But yeah, the, the the Grizzlies definitely lost this game last night. Yeah, I'm in, I'm inclined to agree with you. And I normally in a question like this, I try to try to give the team that won the game all the credit in the world. Um, but I yeah, I, I do agree. I think Memphis let this one get away. Memphis led this game from basically start to finish. And after uh Valanciunas had that dunk that gave him that gave him a regave him a six point lead. It looked like that was going to be it, but Julius Randle gets an immediate and one. He had some free throw things that happened, um, but I mean, this is kind of feels like we've done. I think we've done now three Nick games, and it seems like this is all, all three games have went like this. The Knicks seem to be uh, in in terms of the talent pool, they're a, a little bit under talented, I, I should say, but they just and they they get down. But they just they they don't quit. They keep clawing back. They keep battling, and in in this game they got over the they got over the hump. Then a couple couple breaks went their way. I thought I thought that John Morant shot was gonna go down. I I really thought that was going yeah. on. And um, but got, got to give them all the credit in the world. And they're um, they're and this is this should be something that I think Tom Thibodeau can be encouraged about because I think he's he's not gonna be pleased with the fifty percent shooting from the Grizzlies. And um, the, you know, the 129 points, even though it was overtime, but still was at 100, 114 regulation, something other. So he's not going to be pleased with that. But on the, the silver lining is you can use this as a way to say, hey, look, guys, we can win in another way. We can we can score, too. Um, it was a very balanced scoring effort. Nobody had more than 20. Um, the bench was fantastic. I thought Derrick Rose kept him in the game in the first half, not so much in the second half. That was when uh, you had more quickly and more of Alec Burks. Right. Um, but I mean, it's just, it's a great performance by the Knicks. And, but just, I mean, Memphis, I thought throughout the game, their free throw shooting wasn't very good. You had, you also had some really costly turnovers at times. Um, and yeah, I, I think, I think in the end for Memphis, it's, it's gonna come down to Jaron Jackson. Jaron Jackson Jr. And that's going to give us, you know, really an accurate view, view of what, of who they are and how good they can be and what kind of threat they'll be if they can, as it looks like now, it looks like they'll be in the play in. Uh, but if, you know, if they can survive the play in, Jaron Jackson comes back late uh, end of the month, uh, they get him in there and we should have a better, a more accurate depiction of what they, what they'll be. And I do, I do think this, uh, even though it was in a losing effort, but you, you, you lead the game start to finish. Uh, I, I still think much like us, you know, when we talk about Dallas, Dallas, uh, the Mavericks and the Knicks, I think, I think Memphis, even right now, they're a little bit better um, than the Knicks. And it does, it does speak to what we talked about the West being a little bit better than the East, especially when you, when you get through the top three teams, I think top three teams, you can make a, a great case that, um, the East has an advantage over the West, but the East just doesn't have have the quality depth. Um, I don't know. Thanks, probably can thank teams like Boston, Miami for underachieving so far. Hmm. But uh, I think um, you know. I, I also get the get the feeling that I know John Morant was pretty good last night, but I don't know some about Morant's game. I just every time I watch him, I just I feel a little like I, I didn't get enough 
Like I, I don't think we've seen, I don't think I've seen the best of John Morant when I watch him, but it doesn't, I don't think it matters because I'm, I'm always looking at Memphis and comparing them to New Orleans. Memphis is still, you know, three spots above New Orleans. New Orleans still, you know, flopping around. They beat Philly last night. I don't know what that was about, but we know they're just, <laughs> we know they're just as capable to losing to Minnesota or Houston right. or whoever else they play tomorrow night. So just inconsistencies all around. But yes, in the end, I think um, I, I do think Memphis let this one get away, or excuse me, the Knicks. All right, our next topic is quite fitting as we just discussed two NBA eight seeds. As you may have heard, the NBA will have a play-in tournament to decide the seventh and eighth seeds in each conference. The seventh and eighth uh, place teams will have two chances to secure a playoff spot, while the ninth and tenth uh, seeds will have to win two straight games during the playoff field. The NBA experimented with the play-in idea in last season's bubble which ended up seeing the Portland Trailblazers sneak into the playoffs last season only to lose to the Los Angeles Lakers in five games in the first round. Okay, Drink, uh, what do you think of this season's version of the play-in tournament? I mean, I, I would say I like it better than last season's version of it. I mean, but, you know, it was new changes. People don't like change, so that's what it was. Now that we get the second installment of it, um, I, I like it. I'm And I, I like it for – you know, a couple of reasons, but my number one overall reason why I like it is because I think a lot of the, the so it's eight teams total, four teams per conference, right? And I think of those eight teams, four to six of those teams are teams that we don't, you know, we don't talk about a lot. The major media probably don't talk about a lot because it, it, it goes hand in hand with national TV, national televised TV, right? So if you plan on a league pass for 80% of the season, unless your team is just killing it, you're probably not going to get talked about a lot. And um, But if you plan on ESPN, you know, TNT or NBA TV every other, you know, day, you're going to get talked about a lot. You're on the national TV. The reason I bring that up is because I think the play-in games for teams like, as of right now, how it sits um, in the East, is uh, the seven seed Celtics versus the eight seed Knicks, nine seed um, Pacers versus ten seed Bulls. If we just take that, you said this earlier. We didn't talk about the Knicks on three different occasions since the NBA season started. We didn't talk about Boston probably four or five times since the NBA started, right? We don't. We haven't talked about the Bulls not one time outside of the fact that they traded for Vucevic and and all that, right? <laughs> That's seriously. I, that's the only time yep. I remember talking about them, right? Yep. Um, and then the Pacers, Victor Oladipo left. We did talk about Malcolm Brogdon. I, I think we talked about him like once or twice this season. I think we. I, I right. think we done one Pacer game. Okay, so, so for for most purposes, right? The Pacers and Knicks been talked about. They're a big brand. They're located where they're located. We got it. But the Pacers and the Bulls could use the spotlight that's going to come with the play-in tournament. They can use that ESPN or that TNT or the NBA TV spotlight, whoever's going to have this. They can use that spotlight to show um, the, that they might be a competitive team like Portland did last year. We knew Portland was capable. We had to wait on your boy Nurkic to get healthy, all that good stuff. They, Yeah, they made it to the playoffs and, you know, <laughs> what happened, happened. I got it. But at least give you the opportunity to showcase what your team can do on the national televised stage that you might not get normally now with the west with the west you got the seven mavericks versus the eight grizzlies the nine spurs versus the ten warriors 
how awesome would it be if the Warriors somehow just came out of nowhere, won this, and Steph Curry is back in the playoffs again, Draymond Green back in the playoffs again, with et cetera, et cetera. Um, that would be a great story. That would be a great story. Now, the story I think the NBA won is to get Zion in there again, but you kind of got to at least be in the 10th spot to be in there, and they ain't there right now. So, um, but the Spurs. I don't think we covered the Spurs one time this season. Nope, not one. What if the Spurs woke up during this play-in tournament and they won a couple of games and they got hot? That is why I like to play it. I just think it allows these lower-tier teams that don't get the exposure a chance to get the exposure and then play their way in. Now, that's probably it. You know what I'm saying? That's probably the one versus 16 game. Oh, man, you played good in the first four. Thanks, thanks for coming. Now you're going to play the big boys, and then, you know, it might come short. Your dream time come very short very soon. But I do like the additional opportunity it provides. And, listen, are we really going to be mad for more basketball, whether we think it's useless basketball or not? It's more basketball. Like I told you before the show, hell, I just be happy to know that it's going to come on because I'll be scared. I haven't at night that I'm going to wake up in the morning like, hey, they had to cancel the NBA season again. Hey, they had to cancel the NFL season again. They had to cancel the MLB season. You know, whatever, so on and so forth. So I, I get nervous sometimes. So I, more basketball, I'm happy. Bring it on. Um, you know, and you you pointed this out to me uh, this morning that I wanted to bring up. The playoff is going to start with these eight teams. It not, might not be these eight teams we just named, but eight teams nonetheless. They're going to play these play-in games. The one the one thing that I think people overlook with this, just the playoffs in general this year, is you will have a very small footprint of fans. I got that. However, everything else will still be in play. The travel, the schedule, the one day in between travel, the two days once you get to the conference finals and then the NBA finals, all that stuff is still going to happen. So that matters when you think about these play-in games. For example, let's say the Bulls, 10 seed Bulls, right? Let's say they stay in their spot. That means they're going to have to travel to Indiana to play their play-in game. And if they have to play the other team, the winner of the other game, they're going to either have to go to New York or go to Boston. That's a lot of travel. And, and the real playoffs haven't even started yet. So then... Once you get locked in, let's say they win and they get locked in against the one seed um, Nets, guess what? Now you got to get ready to travel to Brooklyn for the first two games and so on and so forth. That part of the playoffs is still real. They took that feel out from the bubble last year when everybody was just going from the hotel to the gym. Now you have to add that in. I think that matters. I really do. So the playoffs start earlier for eight teams. And I like it. I like the sense of urgency. I'm all about the sense of urgency. That's my number one thing. I love it. Um, so I don't have a problem with it. I really don't. Um, and, and like I said, it, it at least gives these lower tier, tier teams a chance to make a name, give them some rhythm, get them up going again like Portland did. And then give us, it for me and you, it give us something else to talk about. At the end of the day, it give us something else to talk about. And so I like it. I like the sense of urgency. I can't wait to see what eight teams we get this year and see how that works. But I'm I'm into it, man. I'm into it. Yeah, I think I'll the I do agree with uh, two two points. 
um, the the ending point you made about being something to talk about. Love that. Love that. <laughs> um, because it, it is another topic. It's almost like a, it's, it's almost kind of like a, a wild card type round sort of thing. Or like all of these teams are wild cards because now they have to do something further to actually really kind of get in the field. Um, and the, the point about more basketball. So in the, in, in a, I'm, you know, I'm not a huge proponent of this. I didn't, I really didn't like the play in scenario last year. I do, I do think this is a little bit better because last year you had the stipulation of it's going to be eight and nine, but only if the nine seed is uh, four games yeah. uh, within striking distance of something, which is why the East didn't have to bother with it because they invited the Wizards down to the bubble. And uh, that was somewhat a mistake because they didn't participate all that well. Um, so, but, but outside of that, I mean, I... I think if you're a team like the Chicago Bulls or and Golden State can be thrown in this uh, as well. I mean, I know it's not the full 82 game season, but you still get 72 games to prove you belong. You haven't proven it yet. So this whole, it, it feels kind of gimmicky to me. And but the Bulls are a new team, right? I mean, I understand what you say about the Warriors, but the Bulls, then they like get a new team and they like are playing a little better. That's it. Yeah. And, and the Bulls had, you know, their, their trade deadline was somewhat confusing to me. Um, but I mean, I guess, I mean, if, if the goal is to kind of, you know, de-incentivize tanking and playing the draft lottery, then, and, and the Bulls, and this is, you know, behind, this is the kind of thought process behind what the Bulls are doing. I'm not going. I'm not going to be mad at them. I still think, um, but I still think like you have 72 games. You already just by sheer probability have a better than 50% chance to make the playoffs. So now we're now we're at a situation where only when, when at the end of the regular season, only 10 teams out of 30 have been eliminated. Now you have you know your ninth and tenth seeds, which are probably more than likely going to be under 500, you know, they, they get a chance to participate for the right to uh, get a beat down in the first round of playoffs. Cause in the end, in the end, that's, what's going to, that's, I mean, that's, what's going to happen. If you have a, if you're a ninth or 10th seed, you have to beat each other and then play the loser of the seven and eight. So the best you can hope for is to be an eight seed. And I mean, I know we've seen it before golden state, you know, years ago, they took down uh, one of the Dirk led Mavericks teams I know it can happen, but as you well know, this this is unlike college basketball to where you can have a one-hit wonder. It's it's much harder to do that in a series. And it's and every and it's not like the old first round was a five-game series. They're all Who's seven that bring games. That back, by the way? Yeah. They're all it's all seven games. So it's just it's just very unlikely. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't have messed with the NBA play, playoff format. I think it works well, but they did find some uh, newfound excitement uh, with what they did last year. You know, Portland got hot. I, I was always confused to why Portland needed to get hot to make the playoffs in the first place. Uh, but because of Nurkic, Nurkic, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, in, in the end, like you say, it is something to talk about. And like some of these matchups that we have, I mean, particularly the seven eight the seven eight games I mean I, I could get down with Boston and New York you know that seemed the two big market teams um, right. and D- Dallas I, I think and I think by the way I think 
this is probably the most unfair to a seven seed like Dallas because Dallas is a seven seed by a pretty good margin right now. And they, they looks like they're going to have, they've been playing really good basketball lately. They might have a chance to get into the top six and avoid this mess. Right. Um, it, it is, and it, but it is sort of a punishment like to the seven, eight seeds. Like if you don't want to, if you don't want to leave no doubt, Boston, how about playing better? And, and it's not that hard because I mean, you barely have to be over 500 to be in it's, the sixth spot right now. So I, I guess my, my question is, is it a punishment or is, are you lighting a fire under those teams, you know, behind a little bit? Cause not, like, like we talked about earlier, you can go to sleep, the sixth seed, wake up the seventh seed. And now you got to get ready to go play a couple of games, you know? So does that, once again, the sense of urgency, what I like, does that make those teams, if I'm in the sixth seed right now, I think we, we got to maintain this sixth seed because we don't want to go play two or three extra games before the playoff even yeah. starts. Yeah, you, you, can, you can certainly look at it that way. I mean, in, in the end, like, you don't want to be in this position. You, you have to play better. And I think definitely for a team like Boston, it's – we, we get caught up. We've been caught up on Boston so much this season, but this is a, this is a perfect example how, you know, you're playing, you've been playing, you know, inconsistent, mediocre basketball, especially compared to how much talent you have. Um, yeah. It's definitely, if nothing else, I, maybe it's a, maybe it's something that you can use if you're a coach as like an accountability measure, the, the NBA, like, yeah, they're opening it up to nine and 10 teams, but also saying seven and eight, if you don't want to leave any doubt, you got to be better. You, you need to be in that top six to avoid um, this play in scenario. So uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not the hugest of fan. Uh, I'm not the hugest of fans of it, but in the end, more basketball, I'm not going to say no to that. And yet yeah, always could be worse. Like it was uh, last season when there was nothing going right. on. All right, we now turn to the NFL in a shooting in South Carolina that ended with five casualties. Police say former NFL quarterback, cornerback Philip Adams entered a South Carolina residence on Wednesday and shot Robert and Barbara Leslie, two of their grandchildren and a man that was working on their air conditioning before shooting and killing himself. Police did not know what caused Adams to do this, but his family has raised concerns about the game of football, perhaps playing a part in his demise. Adam's brain will be tested for CTE, which has been a huge topic in the NFL over the past decade. Okay, drink, very sad story. And obviously neither of us are medical professionals, but give us your perspective on this story as it relates to the game of football. Okay, so like, before I get into this, um, you said that they're, they're testing his brain, correct? So, I mean, <clears throat> I think, you know, once we get the final, you know, what what comes back from the you know the autopsy or what the test or whatever to see exactly how damaged his brain was um was drug and alcohol like in the mix here somewhere um is is i just want to be fair to say we're saying what we got now but it right. could be something right. possible we're not we're not going to throw out anything that could be possible um so with that said listen man like it's just another one of them things I, I personally think football got something to do with it. I mean, I personally think that. I, I think these guys go out there and they just don't have the proper understanding when he when he was playing anyway, the proper understanding of what they're doing to their brain. And I also think even if they had the proper understanding, they would still do the same thing because we have to understand what the game of football is doing for them 
personally, what it's doing for them at that time, what it's doing for the rest of their family, you know, so on and so forth. It's just very hard to tell a young man from age 22 to 30 that say, hey man, your body can make you these millions of dollars, but here go the side effects, just like a commercial. It might cause death, brain damage, you know? Like all that stuff they, you know, squeeze in at the end of the commercial. But you can make $5 million right now by signing your name on this piece of paper. You know, what are you gonna do? Um, so this is very concerning. It's very concerning. Why is it concerning? Because this is a kind of recent guy. I'm I'm used to like the older guys that had like the paper thin helmets or the leather helmets, the one ball face mask, the ball around the back of the shoulder pads, just, just, you know, jersey barely, you know, fitting on, on top of the shoulder pads, or the jersey is too big for the shoulder pads, like back in the day. Um, I'm used to that. And, and I know all those football players are dealing with just, like, some craziness because no one gave a rip about that back in that time. Like, you played, you got paid, you go home, whatever happens, happens. But that brought us to where we at now. And this is a prime example for those that like to sit out here and complain about, oh, the game that got soft, you can't do this, you can't do that. Here's the reason why the game has quote-unquote got softer. I think it just got safer. That is me. I think players are able to last longer now with the rules that are installed into the game of football from Pop Warner all the way up to the professional level now. They're able to last longer because now we seem to care about the player just as much as the act. Back in the day, it was all about the act. It wasn't about the player. If he got his legs broken, so big. But did you see that hit? He got folded like an accordion. That's what it used to be about. What well, he's such a real man for taking that hit. We don't look at it like that no more. Now we're okay with players pulling up and not trying to take somebody's head off. What is it cool to look at? Yes. But this is what happens when it's so cool to look at and we don't care about the individuals that's involved. Stuff like this. Um I I don't want to necessarily dive into exactly what happened for, for those of the you you read the letter you 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 read the letter and and they can go for what they know um but this is very sad it's such a sad thing i just like first of all imagine you're this um air conditioner repairing guy first and foremost you got called out to do your job you trying to make a few bucks this type of thing has happened and if this is because of the nfl or because his nfl career Somebody got to say, like, we got to pull the code on this. What happens if another NFL player goes shoot some innocent bystander that's doing this job? See, the one thing about violence and just like how I grew up, right? Violence, I, I don't think under any circumstances is violence acceptable, but it's usually acceptable if it's within the guidelines or whatever the violence is going on. And the problem with this is this dude was doing his job. Regular civilian. I don't think he was popping off no noise. He, they ain't said nothing about it. He came to fix the air conditioning and that was the last day on earth. That's unacceptable. And then the grandparent it's it's crazy. It's all unacceptable. So I hope when they take his, you know, brain out and they test it, we find some things that can help us prevent things like this in the future. So we can get these players help. Once again, you brought up a good point earlier. Where the healthcare at? 
whether this, whether he, you know, let's make sure the healthcare in, in, in proper perspective. But I know this guy, he denied medical help. He, he didn't seem like his ego would allow him to get help. That's what it seems like. That's, an, that's also a problem with these players is some of these players do get the opportunity to get help. But we got to understand the, the game that they play. This is an alpha males game. The toughest of the toughest. Ain't no, no powder puff stuff here. So if I've been playing a macho game, I, I, really, I, I correlate it to the, to the Marine Corps, right? In the Marine Corps, for the most part, those guys like myself, we played in an alpha male's world. You couldn't come in there, you know, with no volume. You can't come in there looking like a wet sandwich. You had to come in there. You had to hold yourself accountable. You had to let the other, your peers know you're here for a reason. This is what it is. That's the same thing with the NFL. It's probably hard for these guys to let their ego go and say, hey, I need to go get professional help. That's why when players do get professional help, it is so um, publicized to everybody. Everybody like, oh man, we want to thank so and so for speaking out and you know getting the help that he needed, and we we want you to know that getting help is not a bad thing, it's not a negative thing, so on and so forth. Yeah, that sounds good until you're that player in that situation. That sounds good, but when you have to deal with your your peers and they find out that's how you don't like, we're not NFL players, neither am I gonna act like I'm one. But I guarantee you, that's not looked upon very positively when you do that. Because that does affect the other NFL players. So, to say that, to say this, listen, we talked about the movie Concussion, that what that movie represented. And now with this going, we got to pay attention. NFL, we got to pay attention to this. I'm not saying we no stoppage of games or anything, but somebody got to, like, it, you, you make too much money to not have a professional on the side that's going to make sure, like, what's going on here. What else can we do to make this? Every day should be a new movement to make this process better for the player, I think. You're making billions of dollars off these players. Make it better for them. Make it better for them. Just like any other job would do. You you need to make it better for the player. So, with that said, I, I, I know um, this is just sad, man. I try to get through these, these type of segments because this is a very, very sad segment. Um, but, listen, it... At the end of the day, I would say this. No matter what comes out of this, kids need to know this is the underlying risk of playing this game. It just is. It's no way to get CTE completely out, concussions completely out, brain damage completely out. It's a ways to minimize it, but it's never going to go away. So the minute you decide to play this game, just know this could be you. This could be any player. This is why they harp on education. This is why they harp on doing other things with your career, not just focusing on that one sport. This is why. So very sad situation. I'm gonna turn it over to you, man. Yeah, incredible, incredibly, incredibly sad story. Um, no doubt the um, most sobering thing we've discussed uh, since the um, the helicopter crash that took the took the life of Kobe Bryant and you know several other passengers that day um i didn't i didn't know philip adams at all until um this story broke um played for six teams in six years former seventh round pick out of south carolina state uh 
11 career starts, five career interceptions, um, which all seem, you know, just unimportant facts at this particular moment in time. Um, uh, obviously, I think the, you know, one of the things to remember, and you alluded to it very early on, a lot of stuff we don't, a lot of stuff we don't know. Um, let the, we got to let the police do their jobs. We got to let, um, you know, the specialist who's going to take a look at this, um, you know, this, this, man, this man's brain um, to see, you know, you had CTE or, you know, what that looks like. Um, were there any Ill illegal substances involved? You know, it, what does the toxicology report look like? Um, you know, what was the relationship between Philip Adams and, you know, this, uh, this doctor, you know, uh, Robert Leslie, who was one, it was the, the grandfather that got shot. As, as what I, from what I've read, um, Adams was a patient of his. I don't know in what capacity, but, um, you know, what does that look like? So, so many things that uh, we don't know, but, you know, the minute I see, uh, you know, I saw that um, the family of Philip Adams is, you know, talking about football, um, that, you know, gets my, it gets my attention. And obviously a lot of, we, we have learned a lot in recent years about um, concussions and CTE. We had the movie Concussion and Dr. Ben uh, Amoalu, who, you know, his work, you know, the impact that that had on the NFL. We've seen uh, rule changes in an effort to make the game safer. Um, you know, college football implementing uh, the targeting rules and all of that. Um, the NFL increasingly trying to um, take, the, take the helmet, particularly the crown of the helmet out of the game. Um, we've seen all these th things take place. Um, we, uh, if what, what I, what I would say the, probably the bottom line of all of this, and obviously this is all pending on, you know, what comes out, you know, in the investigations and all the rest of it. If football was indeed a factor due to this and the guy and the Philip Adams had CET and that was a, a root cause of this. And, um, I think the game of football is in some trouble. I do. We, cause you just, you can't have former players who, who develop uh, brain injuries and it leads to them killing five people. Um, that's just, that's just going to be a, t a tough sell. So there's, and there's only so many avenues that the NFL can go. Obviously we know they've taken steps to, you know, re reduce um, brain injuries, reduce concussions by making the game safer. But at the, you know, in the end, the, the root thing of football you know, at, at its very foundation is two grown men crashing into each other, trying to impose their will on one another. And I say, I say this, you know, all the time talking about football. That, that, that foundation has not changed one bit. And you just, all you have to do is look at the line of scrimmage. These offensive linemen and defensive linemen just play after play, down after down, just crashing into each other, head to head, many a time, that hasn't gone away. So I, th I think for, for football, you know, if, if, if this, if CTE was a factor in this, we, the NFL, you know, they've, I don't, they've taken, you know, I would call them somewhat baby steps, you know, to try to make their game safer. If, if this is going where, you know, we think it might be, there will have to be more radical steps being taken. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to put flags on these players. 
I think that's the only way really you can take head injuries completely out of the game. Not only is football about, you know, what I just said, two grown men crashing into each other. It's, it's, it's a game of instincts. And especially, and we, you know, we talk, we talk about this all the time. Defensive players are in such a bind these days because it is the instinct of a defensive player when an offensive player is, you know, trying to catch a pass or trying to, you know, die for the end zone or whatever, the defensive player's job, the reason they get paid is to try to stop that from happening. And they're put in just the most precarious situations now. And in, in oftentimes a no-win situation because the only way to stop them is to, you know, dive head first, you know, use everything at their disposal to knock that offensive player backwards. So it's just a, it's just a tough situation. I'm also curious in this respect, because we know Phillip Adams was a cornerback and he did have two, uh, he did have two concussions with the uh, Raiders back in 2012. So he does have a little bit of a history with concussions, but he, at the same time, he is a cornerback. So oftentimes corners are just on the outside. Uh, they're one-on-one -on -one receivers playing the ball in the air. They're, you know, we know a lot of corners, you know, Marcus Peters, perfect example, just say, yeah, I'm not really interested in tackling, you know, business decisions and all this. So I'm just, you know, I just point that out because I'm a little unsure. And I'm not saying CT didn't play a factor. I don't know, but I just feel like it's less likely or a cornerback is a safer position than offensive defensive line, even linebackers and running backs. You know, that's, that's probably one of the, those positions are probably even more dangerous because the rate of speed that those guys are running into each other. So there is a, there is a study and I just read this in the ESPN report where they looked at 111 players brains um, who are now deceased, 110 of those, they found um, traces of CTE. I'd be interested in knowing, you know, what positions those guys played um, to get a better idea of, you know, the, the idea that I just laid into, to, you know, gave you about the position. But I'm also going to say in regards to some of the rules that they've implemented and you talk and you, by the way, you talked about players playing longer. And I would, and I would say, I think the, the position that stands out the biggest that has really benefited from this, I think is the quarterback position. And those, that's, those are the guys that have really benefited and are playing a lot longer. Uh, but I would also say, even before some of these rules, they were less at risk, you know, because you already had roughing the passer, you know, rules that were in place. And now quarterbacks are in a situation where you have a strike zone. You can't hit them high. You can't hit them low. Quarterbacks have definitely benefited, but I, some of these rules haven't benefited uh, offensive or defensive linemen or the guys who are really going head to head you know, no, I, every no, play after play. No, I agree with you. In the trenches, nothing has changed. That I agree. The trenches are the trenches. But I think I think wide receivers have played longer. I think safeties have played longer because of this. Because now you don't allow that safety to come down and lay the boom like they used to. So I, I think I agree with you. Quarterbacks for sure. Most benefit. But I, I do think it's other positions. Now, if you want to tell me the offensive line and defensive linemen didn't benefit, I, I no arguments here. You want to say maybe the linebackers, the middle linebackers, not necessarily the outside linebackers. But if you want to say the middle linebackers, probably the same timeline as, as they had, okay. You know what I'm saying? Because like you said, they're still doing the same thing. I just feel like the rule changes are definitely help the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, the tight ends, 
the safeties and some cornerbacks from flying across the field and just laying the boom on players like they're taught. They were taught to do that. Now nah, it just it, it, it extended their career, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And your wide receiver safety safety points. Some of that, some of that is definitely true. Um, I just point out. I just, I just do point out. The quarterback, I think, was already a relatively safe position. It's relatively to the game of football, and it's just got inc- incredibly safe now to where, like, you know, you could look at a guy the wrong way, you might get flagged. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I I just think you know, obviously the NFL. That's one. That's one way the NFL can go. You just gotta take dramatic, get game changing steps to where it really won't even be football. It'll be a different version of the sport. But another thing, you know, I think the NFL has to look at is just saying, you know, I don't know what the, what it looks like, you know, after an NFL player retires, but when they decide, you know, it's time for them to walk away from the game of football, you know, you, the NFL should have a system and out processing, you know, type of uh, protocol to where, you know, much like, you know, you, for example, when you, when you left uh, active duty, you got to go through final physicals. You got to go through all these different things. I think the NFL, and I don't know if they do, but they definitely should, if they don't have a process and a protocol in place to just make sure everybody, you know, an NFL player is ready to go back into the regular world, so to speak, even though they're in the regular world, but just to make sure, like, we don't, we can't have this. We can't have this. Like, you can't have a former NFL player, much like you can't have a former member of the armed services going out and, you know, going on a shooting spree. Right. You know, so I think the NFL and I, and by the way, what, if what you said is true about the NFL, you know, guys, if they're hall of famers, they can get healthcare at the expense of the NFL, all that. That's, if that's true, I don't know if it is, but that's a crock. That's a load of garbage. Anybody that's played football professionally should be eligible for some sort of uh, paid health care to where they can get the help that they need. And this whole, all this mental health stuff, we have to, that's another angle of this. We have to, we have to in some way normalize, you know, these things because they're not the, people dealing with mental health, even if it's football, whether, you know, I'm sure you've, you know, had friends or known people um, in the military that have dealt with their own um, demons, you know, the, that they're not, you know, just one-off, you know, once in a blue moon types thing. These are, these are regular things. They're just not discussed regularly. The, in contrast, the NBA's done a much better job. You know, you had DeMar DeRozan, you had Kevin Love come out in recent years, you know, going public with these. And I think it's, it, it is a different culture. Like I, I do feel like the NFL, you know, it's kind of that, that warrior mindset and, you know, you don't want to look soft to other guys. And that's just something we got to get over. But the NFL most certainly they have to have it. They should have a process in place to where, you know, guys, um, you know, I don't know, maybe they, I don't know if you, how you do it while you're living, but you know, let's, let's take a look under the hood, see what's going on upstairs. And, you know, if, you know, if we, I don't know, I don't know how you look for CT when a guy's alive, but right. there, we have to do better than we are right now because we, we can't, we can't have what happened Wednesday happen again. I don't think. And I, and I just want to make, let me be clear about the conversation. What, what I meant about the, the, the whole health insurance thing is, I know for a fact, when you go to the Hall of Fame, you get your insurance elevated to some, some level to like where I'm pretty sure they take care of you for the rest of your career. I mean, the rest of your life. 
I was speaking about those players because if you're on a roster, clearly, you're good. That team going to take care of you. I'm mm-hmm. talking about the players that I guess, you know, they was in this guy, perfect example. He was in the league six years. And then once he wasn't on the team, now what? He ain't going to the Hall of Fame, so he ain't getting that benefit. Let's be real. So I'm talking about those players that fall in between the end of their career to, you know, let's say now. Not necessarily the players that's like Tom Brady. He's been on a roster for 20 years. I'm fairly confident he got taken care of for 20 years, and he's probably going to get taken care of afterwards because he's the GOAT. I'm talking about those players that fall in between. Just wanted to be clear on that. Yeah, and another thing I think worth is getting, obviously we're focusing on this from a a football perspective and from, you know, the perspective of Philip Adams. But also we, we can't undersell, you know, the lives of those five individuals who died um, right. Wednesday. I mean, this, this grandfather, grandmother, grandchildren, I mean, there's a, there's a father and mother and a, you know, son and daughter somewhere who, you know, have forever had their lives just, you know, turned upside down. Um, due to this, and if it is due, and is and if football had anything to do to it, to do with it, it's a it's a real tragedy, and it's something that we've got to continue, you know, to to discuss and talk about the sport of football moving forward, because we just we just can't have we just can't have it. Click. All right, time to finish off the show with rapid reactions. A lot of topics, a little bit of time. Take it away, drink. Oh, you know what time it is. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis presented the Presidential Medal of Freedom to legendary Florida State coach Bobby Bowden. Well-deserved? Well-deserved. Bobby Bowden can't get much better than uh, the things he did at Florida State. Um, By the way, Florida State probably wishes they could bring back Bobby Bowden, even though he's so old. But, (laughs) yeah, I I think, um, you know, the the definition of who rates the Medal of Freedom is, um, you know, I think Bobby Bowden meets the criteria – and um, what, what what an honor. And uh, Ron DeSantis, great governor. On Wednesday, the Panthers signed veteran corner A.J. Boye. Does that signing make sense for Carolina? Hey, I'm not mad at it. A.J. Boye been an above average uh, cornerback in this league for a little while. Probably his last stop wasn't the best. Could have been better. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm not mad at it. Carolina want to make sure their defense is right. I'm never mad at a team want to make sure their defense is right. I mean, the name of the game is offense, but I, I'm not mad at what Carolina doing at all. I like it all right now. The Oakland Athletics have placed closer Trevor Rosenthal on 60-day DL after surgery he had to treat his severe neurovascular compression. Big deal? Yeah, I, I'm assuming it is because he's on the 60-day injury list, so that's um, you know, going to be out minimum two months. I don't have much of a clue of uh, what that uh, – neurovascular thing is uh but the athletics you know liam Hendricks, their closer last season he went to the chicago white Sox. they brought rosenthal in to kind of fill that void but he hasn't pitched yet now he's not going to pitch in any uh time soon and the a's are off to a devastatingly slow start so yeah it i think it's a big deal more or less miles news as an lsu associate athletic director is suing the school and accusing university officials of retaliation after she reported miles's racist remarks and inappropriate sexual behavior just keeps getting worse huh drink i don't okay so lsu's current head coach is getting called by state representatives on allegations that's currently happening at LSU or that happened recently. 
And then their former head coach is getting sued for remarks he made when he was the head coach for LSU. It's like, my question is, when do we turn this focus on the leadership at LSU? Because it seems like a culture thing. I could be wrong. This seems like a culture at LSU. Like, they have a bad culture there. So, we might. it might even get worse, Jay. Who knows? This might not even be the bottom. It might get worse. So, I don't know. This LSU culture is not looking so hot right now. Speaking of things getting worse, a judge has ruled that most of the women suing Texas quarterback Deshaun Watson must identify themselves after they have filed their lawsuits under anonymity. What's your reaction to this news, Jay? Uh, first of all, you know, we covered this story, you know, a few weeks ago, and um, we didn't quite know what to make of it. We were, I think we were both a little bit skeptical. Uh, I think I think it's safe to say things have changed. We've got the police involved in it now. We've got judges coming out, ruling, stuff like this. I do think this is a, a victory for Deshaun Watson, at least in right. terms of, you know, crafting a defense. I think it helps if you know who's suing you. Right. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, this, uh, I don't I don't know how much worse it can, can get for the Houston Texans. Bill, o I mean, this is way worse than Bill O'Brien trading, it, you know, they're uh, all pro players away. And, and now you don't, now Deshaun Watson, the least of his concerns is who the general manager is. He's got, he's got much bigger problems right now. In just his fourth game in Miami, new Heat guard Victor Oladipo suffered a knee injury during Thursday night's win over the L.A. Lakers. Oladipo has already been ruled out for their upcoming four-game road trip. X-rays on his knee were negative, and we await the results from his MRI. If Oladipo is out for an extended period, how will that impact their playoff aspirations? I think it will impact it, just simply because you gave up assets to get uh, Oladipo. So, you know what I'm saying? you're not going to get any um, results from the assets you gave up, and then you're not going to get results from Oladipo, it has to be a problem to your playoff aspiration. It's just due, um, just because what you gave up. And I I'm not sure if you're going to get anything out of Oladipo. I'm going to be very honest. When I seen that injury the other night, first thing I did was text you and say, Oladipo done. I think he might be done. This looks very Similar to a guy that played for the Knicks right now, even though he was more explosive. Um, but these knee injuries, man, they, they get you out of there. They, they get Ask Greg Odom. They'll get you out of there quite fast. So I, I'm not sure what they're going to get out of Oladipo at this point. But, yes, it definitely affects their playoff aspirations. The Toronto Blue Jays will likely begin their home season in Buffalo as the providence of Ontario struggles with COVID and is under a stay-at-home order. Big deal, little deal, or no deal? That's a, it's a little deal. You got to remember the Blue Jays, they had to deal with this last year because the northern border was closed um, due to the pandemic. Um, but uh, so, I mean, I think they'll they'll be able to overcome it. They definitely probably prefer to be in their uh, home city. Uh, but also want to say, um, if you're if you're living under a staying home under order at this point, um, you probably don't live in a free society anymore. Uh, Chargers coach Brandon Staley was complimentary of former Packers center Corey Lindsley, saying Lindsley and second-year quarterback Justin Herbert can become one of the best tandems in the league. What you make of those comments? Hey, I like it. Uh, let's build some confidence here. You got a young quarterback. Um, you know, I'm not mad at it. I'm not bad at it, Brandon Staley. Listen. We undervalue the relationship that the center and the quarterback actually have to have. They actually got to have a pretty good relationship if you want to succeed at a high level. So 
I'm not mad at the, the coach looking at this and saying, hey, let me let me pump up this center the quarterback connection because we're gonna need it. So I like it. Um, it's you know some of the better comments I've heard out of coaches lately in the NFL. So yeah, I'm not mad at it at all. South Carolina men's basketball coach Frank Martin has received a two-year contract extension that will keep him under contract with the Gamecocks until the 2024-25 season. Does this surprise you? Oh, it did. I feel like we haven't heard much from Frank Martin in, the, in South Carolina since they made the Final Four a few years ago. Uh, this past season was not very good. They had several stoppages uh, due to COVID and pretty, uh, pretty underwhelming season. Um, and they really, they haven't done, they haven't been all that much successful since that final four. So, but then again, it is South Carolina. So it's not probably not one of the more attractive jobs. You got Frank Martin, he's proven head coach. So maybe a situation where they don't think they can do a whole lot better. Last one tonight, it's UFC fight night, Vittori versus Holland on ESPN and ABC at the UFC apex in Las Vegas. The main event is a UFC middleweight bout between the number six ranked contender, Marvin Vittori and the, and the 10th ranked Kevin Holland. Who you got drink? Oh man, it's a good one. This is a good one. Uh, woo, been thinking about this, been been pondering and thinking. I'm gonna go with the tenth rank contender, Kevin Holland. Um, this this fight is a last minute replacement for Holland. Um, Marvin Vittoria was supposed to fight Darren Till. Um, I think he's like the number fourth rank contender. Uh, this weekend, Darren Till had to pull, pull out of the fight because of illness or whatnot in his training camp. So Holland fought. I want to say two weeks ago, he fought Derrick Brunson. He lost that fight by, you know, decision. Um, but I don't think it really hurts stock, um, Holland's stock. That's why I think this fight is very intriguing. Um, so I'm going to go with Holland's. I'm going to go with Holland's by decision. And um, most likely a split decision. I'm not even going to say unanimous decision. This could be a split decision most likely. But I'm going to go with Holland's. Um, his frame, his confidence, where he at right now. I think he gets the win. Um, so yeah, that's how I look at that. All right. That concludes today's drink of wisdom. Thank you for joining us as always like, listen, share, subscribe. We appreciate all the support. I'm Jay Wise. And I'm Nathan Drinker. And remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we going to do. We're going to holler at you until next time, baby.